I want to speak this morning about uh, re-entry. And I'm just going to share my screen for a moment and just show you an image, um, which, uh, okay. Um, you might be familiar with this image, if I can get it to come up. And um, okay, we'll come back to this in a moment, but just uh, feast your eyes on that artist's impression. I don't think the artist was literally there when it happened, but it's an artist impression <coughs> of what is called re-entry when a spacecraft comes back to Earth. We come back to that in a minute. And when I finish speaking this morning, we're going to have a big joined up conversation together. Uh, rather than just going into breakout groups to uh, talk in small groups, we're going to have a big conversation. So I want you to be thinking of things that you feel you might want to contribute um, following what I've got to say this morning. Okay, within the space industry, one of the most critical issues is bringing astronauts back to Earth safely. And the moment of re-entry is critical because the science of re-entry is rather like skipping stones on water. I'm sure we've all done it. A few weeks ago, um, I was showing my six-year-old granddaughter how you skip stones uh, on the, the water down on the beach near to where we live. If you get the angle too steep, the stone will immediately dive to the bottom of the uh, seabed. If you get the angle too shallow, you know that the stone will bounce off the surface of the water. And re-entry of a, space shaft, a spacecraft in mathematical terms um, is very similar to skipping stones on water. Because if the angle is too steep, you risk entering the Earth's atmosphere too fast and burning up with a big splash or a crash. If the angle is too shallow, you risk bouncing off of the Earth's atmosphere and going back into outer space. So the science of re-entry is like a frightening dance between fire and ice. And when I talk about fire, the temperatures that are reached at re-entry are 1,480 degrees centigrade. If you get it wrong and you bounce back into outer space, the temperatures in outer space are minus 270 degrees centigrade. So it's a critical moment when a space capsule re-enters the Earth's atmosphere. Now, you might ask this morning, what has this got to do with us as a church? Well, I believe that we are soon going to have a moment or a season of re-entry as a church. <clears throat> as lockdown is fully lifted, we are able to physically meet with each other again, it will be rather like a moment of re-entry. However, there are very real risks attached 
to this season, because if we get it wrong, we could so easily go into a kind of disintegration. Or we could desire to go back to the coziness of Zoom and be a church that's disconnected from the real world. Now, I've been talking to leaders recently and church leaders have different views. I heard a leader saying yesterday that they think that when we come back as church, nothing much will change. Some leaders are quite fearful in terms of the future of their churches in that they're not sure who might turn up. Some churches where you perhaps have a nominal attendance and people have not been showing up in any sense on Zoom or, or maybe online, they're not really sure what size of a congregation they might end up having when we're able to meet once again. Others are believing that we cannot go back to being what we were before lockdown. There's gonna be a restructuring, a fresh understanding of what Jesus wants his church to be. So this is a time for us to earnestly seek to understand what Jesus wants his church to be when we join together again. Now, in the Bible, we see a powerful picture of re-entry in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3, Christ suffered and died for sins once for all, the innocent for the guilty to bring you near to God by his body being put to death and by being raised to life by the Spirit. He went into the spiritual realm and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison because of their disobedience long ago. Now, let me just explain a little bit of what that means about him going into the spiritual realm. At the death of Jesus, when he left our world, the scriptures seem to imply that he went and shared the gospel with those who had not heard of the grace of God in previous generations. And on Easter morning, Jesus then re-entered our world. And I believe that his re-entry or his resurrection has some very helpful lessons principles, guidelines for us as we contemplate our season of re-entry as a church. And there are three questions that I want us to look at this morning. So if I can just share my screen again with this wonderful image. Okay, let me see if this will work. Is it going to work for me? No, it didn't want to work. Oh, here it is. There we are. Okay, three questions I want us to consider this morning. This will go. Okay. What do we leave behind? What do we start? And how do we maintain a missional edge? Okay. Three questions for us to think about this morning. First thing is, what do we leave behind upon our re-entry together as a church? And I want just to refer to some key verses in the Bible, all to do with the resurrection of Jesus. First of all, in John chapter 20, verses 6 and 7. You might want to turn to it. John 26 and 7. This is John's account of resurrection morning. Peter comes to the tomb because the women had gone very early in the morning to anoint Jesus' body with spices. They turn up 
and there's an angel there who says to them, who are you looking for? And they say, well, we're looking for Jesus. And the, the angel says, well, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here, he's risen. They go and tell Peter, Peter rushes to the tomb. And this is what it says in John 20, verse six and seven. Then Peter came and went right into the tomb. He too noticed the linen clothes lying there, but the burial cloth that had been on Jesus' head had been rolled up and placed separately from the other clothes. Grave clothes speak of death and they are only for those who are dead. Jesus left behind the grave clothes because he didn't need them anymore. And in that part of the world, in those times when somebody was died, they literally wrapped them up like a bandage in grave cloths right the way from their foot to their shoulders and then a separate one all the way around the head and face. These were left behind in the tomb when Jesus rose because he didn't need them anymore. I think that as a church, we have often lacked the vibrancy and power of the Holy Spirit, so much so that we've appeared to be a non-life-giving company of people. Now, I'm not criticizing us personally, but the church in general has often appeared to be that way. Once we re-enter after our time of lockdown, we cannot bring with us anything of the past that doesn't produce life. Janice uh, passed a, a really interesting quote to me the other day from a lady called Jill Briscoe, who's a popular speaker on uh, Premier Christian Radio, if you ever hear her. This is what she said. A dead past can flow into a living present and paralyze a dynamic future. Let me say that again. A dead past can flow into a living present and paralyze a dynamic future. You see, Jesus didn't rise from the dead and come out of the tomb carrying his grave clothes. He left them behind because he was never, ever going to need them again. You see, death can often seem comfortable. Death is nice and quiet and still. Have you ever seen a riot in a graveyard? Have you ever seen, you know, a lot of noise going on in a cemetery? No, they are places that are still, quiet, comfortable, peaceful, nice and cosy. But I want to tell you, I would much prefer, rather prefer the noise of a maternity unit than the quiet of a graveyard. Wouldn't you? So what do we need to leave behind when we come out of this season of lockdown? Well, I'll just hint at a few things. I think we need to leave behind the lifelessness of ritual. You see, ritual often feeds our pride. You know, we, we've gone and done it. We've gone through the service. I, I feel better now. I've done the right thing. In some church contexts, people go to confession every week. I've been there. I've done it. I feel better now. Ritual feeds your pride. Doesn't glorify God. Kind of thing. We've done our duty. 
we cannot be a company of people that go through certain rituals that just make us feel better. That speaks of death and it needs to be left behind. We need to leave behind the unreality of hypocrisy or faking it. How many Christians have turned up at a church on Sunday and they've been faking it, making themselves look the part, doing what everybody else does and giving the appearance that, yeah, I'm a nice Christian, everything's good with me and God, but inwardly, their hearts might be in a different place. God spoke of that in the Old Testament. They praise me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. God hates hypocrisy. Jesus constantly challenged the Pharisees when he walked on this earth because he said, you are like whitewashed sepulchers. You look nice on the outside, but inwardly you are spiritually dead. We cannot bring anything of that with us into our future. And then also something else that we can't bring is the fruitlessness of human effort. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. It's not by might. It's not by human strength. It's by my spirit, says the Lord, which is what the Old Testament prophet said. So these are the, some of the things that we need to leave behind. And you may think of other things that we can have in a joined up conversation in a minute. Jesus left <laughs> those things that spoke of death back in the tomb and going into our future, we cannot take anything that speaks of that which is dead and unreal. Second thing is, what do we start? If we go to math, Mark 16, Mark's gospel, and in Mark 16, Mark gives his account of the resurrection. And this is what Mark says, Mark 16, verse 6. Speaking of the angel, and the angels that appeared at the tomb were young men in their appearance. And it says, the young man said to them, don't panic, don't be afraid. You're looking for Jesus from Nazareth who was crucified. He has been brought back to life. This was the announcement of the angels. He has been brought back to life. These women went to the tomb with spices, ready to anoint the body of Jesus, because in those times and in that culture, because of the heat, a body would very soon start to smell. Where uh, our son and daughter-in-law live uh, just outside Barcelona in Spain, Whenever we go and visit them, our son picks us up from the airport and we have about a 30, 40 minute drive back to their home. And on the motorway, on the left, there's this section, which is like a big piece of rock in the wall. But our son, Tim, says that is a graveyard. It's a cemetery. Now, it's nothing like the kind that we have. What they do is they cut a hole into the rock. They slide the body in and then they seal it with a stone. But our son Tim says that often the stones don't fit very well and they leak. And he said it smells. Not a very pleasant place. It's not the sort of graveyard you and I would want to visit. And in Bible times, they would go and anoint the bodies with spices to camouflage the smells. So these women turned up with their spices to anoint the body of Jesus and the angel says, why are you looking for him? He is not here, he has been brought back 
to life. We have to start as a church by living a resurrection style of life. Brennan Manning, he said this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out of the door and deny him with their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. In case you've forgotten, Jesus is alive. Why don't you just turn, if, you're, if, you're, if you've got somebody next to you, uh, just turn to that person and tell them Jesus is alive. If you haven't got anybody in the room with you, tell yourself, say it out loud. Jesus is alive. He is. He is. And as his followers, we need to be living proof of the fact that Jesus is alive. The scripture says, in Romans 8 verse 11, my favorite verse of the Bible, if the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, he will give life to your mortal body. I find that one of the most powerful verses in the Bible, the same Holy Spirit that went into the tomb on resurrection morning and raised the body of Jesus back to life. That same Holy Spirit lives in you and lives in me. That is mind blowing incredible the same holy spirit lives in us that raised jesus from the tomb there's a church in the old testament on the new testament that used to be a great church the church at sardis it had a reputation for being alive and in revelation 3 jesus speaks to this church and this is what he says i know all the things that you do they probably had great social action programs. They probably was a very, very busy, active church. He says, I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive. But you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains for even what is left is almost dead. That's a terrible indictment. A church that appears alive and active on the outside is spiritually dead on the inside. I remember many, many years ago in the early years of our ministry in Southampton, we had a group of lovely students that were attending our church. And one day this group of students, there's about five or six of them, they live in this house. And they said, look, would you come to have tea with us on one Sunday afternoon? So we said, yes, it'd be great. We had two children then. Andrew and Tim, I don't know, they were about seven and what, four, four and eight, something like that. So we went, and one of the lovely things was that one of the students, Jerry, uh, his parents had been missionaries in Africa. He kept snakes, pythons, and, and cobras. So we were quite interested to see them. So we went, a and uh, a black member, yeah. And our boys loved seeing the snakes, handling them. It was really great. Enjoyed tea. It was lovely. And then we said, what do you feed the snakes on? And so they said, well, we feed them on rats. We, we buy these frozen rats from the uh, pet shop, and then we feed them. And I said, we, they don't eat them cold. He says, no, we put them in the oven and warm them up. That really upset Janice because we just had tea that had been in the oven. 
<laughs> but the thing was, the snakes didn't know any different. They were eating death warmed up. And they knew no difference. We cannot be Christians who are like death warmed up. We have to live a resurrection life that Jesus came to give. And Luke tells us, after Jesus had risen from the dead, that for 40 days, this is in Acts chapter 1, for 40 days he presented himself alive to his apostles and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. That term, convincing proofs, Greek word, tekmerion, which literally means a sure sign, a positive proof. Now, if I said to you two and two makes four, you might come back to me and say, well, prove it. So I could prove it by getting two apples and two apples, putting them together and then going one, two, three, four. That's convincing proof that two plus two makes four. Jesus was there for 40 days with convincing evidence and proof that was completely undeniable that he had risen and that he was alive. Here's a question. What sure signs should we display individually and as a church that proves Jesus is alive. You see, it's one thing to sing about a risen Savior, but we need to be living proof of the fact that Jesus is alive. How were the early Christians proof that Jesus was alive? Well, first of all, their proof was that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Read about it in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit came and filled those early Christians. And Jesus had said, you don't do anything until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. I remember when I was a young Christian, I was embarrassed to tell anybody that I was a Christian. I would go to school on a Monday morning and, and friends would say, what did you do over the weekend? And I would kind of mumble something. I wouldn't dare tell them that I'd gone to church on Sunday. But I want to tell you, a day came when I was 14 and God baptized me in the Holy Spirit and I was completely changed. I found myself on one occasion going up to a bunch of hell's angels, offering them tracts and trying to tell them that Jesus loved them. And they kept telling me to get lost. And I didn't get lost. And I told them again. I found myself going to the local estate, knocking on doors, wanting to tell people about Jesus. The Holy Spirit makes a dynamic difference in our lives. And we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit initially, but continually, as they were in Acts chapter 2. And those early disciples went about proving that Jesus was alive because the power of the Holy Spirit was living in them and through them. Not only do we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit as a church, but we need to boldly do what Jesus did. We've got to have a confidence. We've got to have a courage. We must be fearless in this unbelieving world to share Jesus in whatever ways we possibly can. So what do we need to start doing? We need to be living a resurrection life. One third question then, how do we maintain a missional edge? In Matthew 28, we've got Matthew's account of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And in verse 7, this is what the angels said 
to the disciples who came to the tomb. They said, and now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. This is what the angel said to the women. Go quickly, tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Now, after the resurrection of Jesus, Peter went back to his old job as a fisherman. And he took with him on this occasion, six of his fellow disciples, and they went to the Sea of Galilee. I guess they felt the bottom had fallen out of their world. What was there to live for now? Jesus had been crucified. He'd gone. We might as well just say, well, it was good while it lasted. Let's go back to our old jobs. We've got to earn some money. We better just go back to how things were. So he went back to fishing. And whilst they were out on the lake of the Sea of Galilee, unbeknown to them, Jesus turns up on the beach and cooks breakfast. And when they arrive back on the beach, bringing some fish, they are speechless because Jesus provides a breakfast that any master chef would have been proud of. I just like to imagine that breakfast that Jesus had waiting for those disciples. And as they get back, Jesus challenges Peter <coughs> about the fact that he'd gone back to fishing. Here, Jesus then, in a private conversation with Peter, he commissions him to go and tell. And the book of the Acts of the Apostles is all about these early Christians going and telling, doing exactly what the angel said at the tomb. Go quickly and tell his disciples that Jesus has risen from the dead. You see, whatever our history might have been, re-entry is about wiping the slate clean. It's about a relaunch. It's about us as a church being a church that constantly goes and tells that Jesus is alive. This time next week, we shall be in the church car park. We've got a great opportunity to tell the story of the cross that Jesus died for the whole world. It is for you. You'll see the words written across the cross. And we're going to declare that message because Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will draw men and women, boys and girls to myself. We want you to invite your friends, invite your family. It's going to be a wonderful occasion just to celebrate that Jesus is alive and to declare that as a church, we are re-entering into our community and we want to make a dynamic difference by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us and works through us as a church.